Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. Today on The Protagonistas, I chat with Carla Mendoza, who is such a joy to chat with and listen to. In fact, joy is sort of her thing. Carla is originally from Peru, an Afro-Latina or Afro-Indigenous Peruvian woman and a DACA recipient. Today, Carla and I chat about her journey of decolonizing, embracing a humble spirit when it comes to what we know about God or the Bible, and Carla shares about how she came to live into someone who is proud of taking up space. Since we recorded this episode, Carla also started her own podcast titled El Cafecito with Carla, which you should definitely check out. Speaking of cafecito, this is a great episode to pour yourself a cup of coffee to and laugh along with Carla and I as she shares her joy with us all. I hope you enjoy it and welcome to the protagonistas. All right, Carla, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so pumped to talk to you. Um, yeah, so if you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to be here and to be chatting with you. Um, yeah, so I am, my name is Carla. I currently live in the Great Lakes area um, in the land of the Potawatomi, the Erie people, the Miami people, and the Fox people. And I am originally from Peru. So I have been living here for 19 years. Um, in December, it was 19 years. Um, I am also a DACA recipient. Um, yeah, and I, uh, it's kind of funny, like, who, like how I would describe myself today, but I think I call myself an accidental storyteller because I never really signed up to be a storyteller, but somehow ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it so much. Um, so I want to start with, I usually start with asking folks about their spiritual background, and I want to ask you about that as well. Um, but I love that you're someone who just inhabits multiple worlds. And I feel like, you know, um, yeah, that's just something that I'm trying to lean more into. And I know this is this is something we'll talk about later about the idea of indigenizing, but it's the idea of leaning into the multiplicity and the, the multiple worlds that live within me uh, or the multiple things, identities, whatever you want to call it, that live within me. And so I would love um, for you as you um, or before you start talking about your spirituality, as you, you mentioned, DACA recipient, you're from Peru, like you live in the U.S., you're an Afro-Latina, like there's so many... Mm -hmm just awesome and complex and complicated uh, in the best way, right? People think that that's a bad thing, but that's not a bad thing to be complex yeah. and complicated. <laughs> um, so if you want to, um, yeah, just talk a little bit more about those things, about all those different worlds that you inhabit. Um, and I say that because when I was reading, I think it was on your website, you said that you, and I'll pull it up here, um, that you're in an in-between space. And so if you want to, yeah, elaborate on that for me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so interesting because, um, yeah, so a little bit of my identity is that obviously like I'm a black Latina and um, growing up in Peru, um, Afro-Peruvians are actually less, maybe like 1% of the population of Peru. It's very low. It's mostly an indigenous um, 
you know, country. And so um, I've always known that I've been like an outsider almost, you know, um, just because a lot of people didn't look like me, you know, even on my mom's side of the family, um, you know, they come from, um, actually, this is really fun, but <laughs> my family on my mom's side of the family is from Chile, Italy, and Spain and indigenous wow. Peruvian. And then on my dad's side of the family, um, it's indigenous Peruvian somewhere in Africa through slavery. Um, in China, which wow. is the most interesting thing. And so because of that, I have multiple layers. Um, yes. But I, to me, I see it as like multiple fun, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. There's so many things. Like today, if I wanted to learn about Asian culture and about specifically, like if I were to look into that, um, you know, that part of my family, I think I would be amazed. Um, some of it is hard because I am in a different country. So when I want to talk to my elders, it's a little bit hard to connect. Um, but you know, so I am Afro-Peruvian, Afro uh, which I love. I grew up in that culture because my dad is a musician. And so I uh, learned a lot through him and through the groups that he was a part of. And um, so, you know, that's a big part of who I am. It's kind of how I navigate the world. <laughs> I um, but I also, um, of course, I'm a Jesus follower. Um, I love Jesus with all my heart. Um, <laughs> sometimes I get teary eyed and I'm like, oh, this is very dramatic sometimes. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so that's also a big part of who I am. And, you know, I'm an undocumented immigrant. So when I moved here, um, kind of trying to figure out the, um, the world in which I was, and I was 11 years old. So it's, it was a very formative time. And um, I had to, I didn't realize, obviously back then I didn't have the language, you know, um, but I didn't realize that I was trying to assimilate to figure out where I could fit in. Um, right. But normally I didn't really fit in, you know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I assimilated a little bit to like Mexican culture. Um, right. Then I assimilated a little bit to black culture. Then I um, assimilated to white culture. And so there's always just a very complex <laughs> uh, yeah. relationship happening in me at all times, <laughs> right, you know? Right. So that's a little bit, I guess, of the layers. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you say like, all, cause all of these things are happening at the same time, you know? And, and I, I relate to that, you know, in a small bit in the sense of like, sometimes I, I really connect with my Cuban culture. And then, you know, when, when I'm not around my Cuban people and then, you know, so I'm, I feel like I'm constantly being pulled. How do you uh, nourish, you know, all those different aspects of you in different ways um, in a way that gives you life and in a way that gives you energy to keep, you know, existing in a world that it's not always easy to have all these different identities, you know, within you. Um, how do you nourish that? I know that you've talked a lot about joy and I know that you're, you know, that's something that you lean into and I love that so much about you. So yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, because obviously if I were to dedicate myself full time to understanding, you know, where my ancestors are from, to understanding um, everything about theology, you know, I think it would be like a full time job. Um, yeah. And so because of that, I have to almost like 
pick and choose what I can focus on today. <laughs> um, you know, and so in that process, I I'm learning to not. Um, I think it's really easy for um, for me. I always speak for me. You know, <laughs> um, I think it's really easy for me to. Um, almost like skip over parts of history because I'm a little scared of where I'm going to find out, you know? And so what I've done is that I'm, tr I'm trying to connect some dots here and there. And sometimes that is through food. Sometimes that is uh, through music or through dancing. Um, and so one of the things that I love to learn about is um, Chinese cuisine. And I'm always just, I'm, um, I used to be a very picky eater, you know, but you know, like improving culture is offensive to say no to something when somebody gives right. you something. Right. To so I started praying and I was like, Lord, I need you to change my taste buds. I don't know how it's going to work. And so, but I've been using, you know, I've been doing that of uh, trying new foods um, yeah. that I know are connected to a part of me, you know, right, right. it might not be all of me, <laughs> but it's a part right. of me. And um, the same with music. I am, you know, um, I know I've, I've talked about this before, but I listen to Afro-Peruvian music and a lot of the lyrics are about resilience, about even like the, because um, a lot of the songs were written when they were enslaved, you know? Right. And so, some of the songs, they sound so festive and there's like a very deep grief right. in them, right. you know? And so um, I think I have learned through that to know mm -hmm. that I can walk in joy and I can be aware. And honestly, like sometimes it's something as small as I saw a bird fly by the window, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah. I'm reminded. God right. takes care of the birds, you know? Right. And so it's as simple as that. And it can be as, you know, as complex of no, like in the complexity of understanding that I, I don't have to deny the history. I don't have to deny right. the grief um, right. to feel the joy um, that also comes along, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. And I will <laughs> say, you know, even paying attention to a bird flying through a window. That is something that, I mean, we don't do. And so I feel like even that adds to, I mean, that's complex. Hey, a bird flying, like, what the heck? You know, like, how do you do that? You have to be present. Birds, God, how does God take care of the birds? You know, like all of that is part of just um, yeah. being present and leaning into just the beauty and the nuance and the complexity of what it is to be human, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so with yeah. that, I know that you said that um, that you love Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus. If you want to talk to me a little bit about your spiritual background, talk to me about, um, yeah, just what religion, spirituality, your relationship to the divine was from a little girl until until now. Yeah. So I, um, my parents were Catholic their whole lives, um, but when I was four years old, they became Protestant Christians four or five. And so quickly they um, they were very involved in the church. So I pretty much grew up in a, you know, what would be considered like a Christian household. Um, but this was all in Peru. Um, and 
they became pastors fairly quickly after that. So I am a pastor's kid. And mm. one thing that I am really appreciative of is that my mom is also a pastor. And so in my mind, there was never any questioning as whether a woman could lead anything, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. I am very, very thankful for that. Um, right. But I, um, I've always connected to Jesus through music. It's just always mm. a thing, you know? And so, you know, like I grew up listening to uh, Marcos Witt and Jesus Adrian Romero, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but at the time, I remember being, um, I was eight years old. I can tell you exactly where I was, like where in the living room I was sitting, in what on what couch, uh, but I was listening to music. And I happened to be alone in the living room, which is not something that was normal, you know? And so... Mm. I was listening to a song and it was about Calvary and suddenly I just knew that it was true, you know, mm -hmm. and I started crying and I knew that I was experiencing something that I couldn't explain. So yeah. I didn't tell anyone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I know. So, but I was convinced. I was like, I know, I know that this is real. Um, and so in the process, mm -hmm. I'm also, it's so funny. I was talking to someone, I went to uh, private Christian schools when I was a little girl. And so, um, like the first time I read the book of Acts was when I was eight years old, which why would anyone <laughs> let a kid read, you know, read the book of Acts? So, <laughs> you know, and I found, I actually got somebody to send me one of my children's Bibles from Peru all the way to here um, because I wanted to go through it. And I was looking at it and it was so intense because the stories were so intense and the graphics were so intense. And I was like, they gave me this when I was six years old. <laughs> And you what know, so, like what was that process of do you remember like what your processing of that was? Well, it was so funny because I remember um even when I was younger when I couldn't read, I would like I would memorize the Bible stories and then I would read them to other people, but I was just reading them off of memory. And so I just oh wonder goodness. how many things, you know. Wow. <laughs> I just like I just keep carrying with me that I didn't realize. And um, yeah, so that's like through my childhood, you know, like I love being a pastor's kid, but I think it's because I was a little girl and I got my way a lot, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, but then in, I want to say in the year, oh, in the year 2000, my dad moved from Peru to the States. Mm. And um, we were, my sister, my mom and I stayed by ourselves. And um, I think that was just a very rocky year. Like we just experienced like um, some really intense church trauma, but we, of course, like, I, again, like I didn't have the language at the time, you know? Right. <laughs> and right, so right. it was a very intense time. Um, anyway, but my parents um, had prayed and said, if my sister, my mom, and I were not able to move to the States with my dad within a year. My dad was going to move back. And miraculously, we got our visas to come. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And wow, so yeah. my dad made it to the States on December 14, 2000. And my sister, my mom, and I landed in the States on December 15, 2001. Oh, my God. Okay. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. We're good. Wow. <laughs> 
exactly <laughs> like wow yep exactly a year you know and so and of course like um it was technically a non-denominational church but it was a very charismatic church okay. and so they believed in the power of the holy spirit and you know and everything which i'm so thankful for too <laughs> um but then when we moved here it was a little bit interesting because we had never experienced other denominations before. And so we went to a Spanish-speaking Baptist church. We went to a Spanish-speaking Pentecostal church. We went to a Spanish-speaking um, non-denominational church. Um, and then there was that tension as my sister and I started learning English, whether we should go to an English-speaking church or a Spanish-speaking church. Right. And so, yeah, so a little bit of that journey was just figuring out even like what different denominations were about. We had never right. done any of that before. Um, and then finally, this is so, um, so funny to me too, but in my teens, you know, I went through that stage where I was like, I don't want anything to do with the church or with God or right. anything. And people right. would say, you're not a Christian or like, you're not a Christian anymore. And I would say, no, I'm not a Christian. And they're like, you don't believe in God. And I would say, no, I absolutely know who God is. That's why I'm not a Christian. Wow. <laughs> so I know. And, and what was, was so that? What, oh, what sort of triggered that? Yeah, what sort of triggered that? Yeah, Just and so years? I think, um, well, it was interesting because I would say, like, I'm not acting Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And so how can I say that I'm a Christian when I'm not, you know? And so, and I, I always think back and I think of how the Holy Spirit even then was so convicting <laughs> when, when I was like, I don't want to talk to you, <laughs> you know, but um, I think like the re one of the reasons why I was very um, stressed was also um, it was coming to the years when I was supposed to start driving, going to college, you know, getting a job. And then the reality of being undocumented, undocumented, like hit me in the face, you know? And so I think in that mixture of like understanding that and then going into the into a depression because of that, but not having the words to explain it to anybody, you know, okay. I think it was so multi-layer. And so for my reaction was, I don't want to talk to God. Um, I but I knew I was lying to myself, you know? <laughs> Of course, I wanted to talk to God. <laughs> and um, so, then so, what finally, was that journey back like? Uh -huh. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> finally, I one of my friends invites me to church and says it's a very. Uh, it was a church denomination that has like multiple churches all around the world, you know. And so um, we were going to the one here in Toledo, and my friend is about two hours from me. And she says, Carla, do you want to go to church with me on New Year's Day? And I hadn't gone to church in years, you know. <laughs> and my and I say to my parents, I was still in high school, I say to my parents, I said, okay, if we go to years, and they're like, what you go to, we will take you to wherever you want to go because I just, you know, and it's like my other parents like on their knees praying for me every day that I would want to go to church. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, so finally, um, I go and I remember walking in and saying, 
Lord, today is not the day. I'm here because I want to see my friend. And the moment one of my friends starts singing, I start weeping and I'm like, no, today's not the day, Lord. <laughs> I so, told you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after that, of course, I was just like, I knew it, you know? And, um, but of course, one thing that I didn't know about me at the time was that a lot of the Christianity that I was following, even as, um, even in Spanish speaking circles was very fundamentalist. And I didn't know that. I just assumed that's what Christianity was, you know? And so I, after I started coming back to, you know, everything related to creator, I, Um, my parents said, oh, we're actually starting a church. So I started helping them with their church plant. And um, I was there with them for a few years. And then I suddenly uh, kept meeting all these people and I ended up in the white evangelical church. So I spent, it's interesting. I would say maybe from from the ages that I was 19 to 27, and then I came back to the White Evangelical Church a year later, um, but I just left again, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, that's been a very interesting journey just because I think I wanted it to work out so badly. I wanted, you know, and it just wasn't working out. So, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. in that process, um, in 2016, uh, my mom moved back to Peru Uh, to take care of my grandma but because of our immigration status she can't come back and i can't go see her and so yeah so it's gonna be years in april and i think that um really unraveled a lot Mm -hmm. of my beliefs um because i remember like coming back from the airport and sitting in the living room with my sister and my dad, and I'm having this internal conflict with the Lord, you know? And I'm like, I have to decide who you are today. If I don't decide who you are today, I don't know what will happen. And out of like, honestly, this is the goodness of God (laughs) and the mercy of the Lord. Um, Out of like, like the depths of who I am, all I could hear was, God, you are good. Um, you know, and so, and so I made, I said, this is who I know God to be. God is good. And, um, and so I stuck with that. I said, if I don't know anything else about God (laughs) is that he is good, (laughs) you know? And, um, yeah. And so I think, and I was already kind of like asking questions in 2014, I asked Holy Spirit, which again, because I come from like a Pentecostal charismatic, you know? background i asked holy spirit and said holy spirit can you just delete the bible of my brain (laughs) but not of my heart (laughs) you know (laughs) wow can you elaborate like the thinking behind that why that or why also yeah so i loved especially growing up i actually went to school for one year to uh to study computer engineering because i love computers and Mm -hmm. so in my in my brain, my brain was a hard drive. And so if anybody were to ask me anything, 
I would say, give me two seconds. And in my brain, I would be going through files. Like, where is this wow. store in my brain, you know? And so because of that, um, and you know, at this point, like I'm, I've, I think the only thing I haven't done in a church is maybe marry some, like, you know, like officiate mm -hmm. a, wed a wedding. Right. So at this point, like I've done every possible like leadership thing that you could do. Um, and so even like I, I love, I think my favorite was youth leading. I love, you know, the um, like Gen Z is like my favorite. They're so fun. Oh, I um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I was a youth leader. And so the kids would come up to me and they would say like, Carla, what do you think the Bible says about this, you know, right. and I would be like, give me two seconds, you know, and I always had an answer. I always had an answer. And then one day I was like, I don't think I should have an answer for everything. Yeah, <laughs> so wrong. good. So, and, so good. Um, and I mean, and it was a challenge because it was a mixture of pride and humility, you know, because it is, it was very prideful of me to just be like, Oh yeah, what does the Lord say about divorce? Right. And then yeah, or what does the Bible not, not with the Lord? Yeah. What does the Bible right. says about yeah. divorce? And you know, and within seconds I would give you something. And then when I, I pray this prayer and I said, Okay, if my brain is like a hard drive, I can I can delete this. Um and so I pray this prayer. And I remember going to youth group and one of my kids asking me something and I just looked at them and I was like, I can't answer this. I have to wow. actually like take a step back and think about this, you right. know? Um, and also, um, but in that prayer also, um, like I said, I, I prayed and I said, delete it from my brain, but don't delete it from my heart because I want to keep your word in my heart that I may not sin against you like David. And, um, and honestly, I believe that what that's what has carried me. It's knowing the word of God, not necessarily off the top of my head anymore, you know? That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Yeah, because there's such a difference. Because um, I, I totally feel you. I used to be the same way, like just this. I mean, I love the Bible. That's all. That's just something that you know I'm super interested in. And specifically, I'm interested in reading it how I think it should be read, and that's a deliberative lens, right? Um, and so I haven't given up on the Bible, right? And so, but I love the way that you're like you know kind of differentiating differentiating it which i think is so right and so true you know we want to still have it in our hearts but to have all that all those you know that this is how it's supposed to be read sort of knowledge in your mind you know it just doesn't feel right you know that just really doesn't feel yes. right um and so i i really love the way that you say that because i want to always continue having you know the word of god in my like always have it in my heart. Um, but the way that I understand it's going to be completely different every single time that I read it or every single time that I talk about it. Like, hmm, you know, this story was, you know, this is how I understood this story a year ago, but now I understand it completely different. Hey, that's awesome, you know? Um, so I really do love that. Thank you for sharing that. Hi, everyone. It's Kat. As a space for highlighting the stories of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color, this podcast has been important for so many listeners, and I would not be able to do this podcast if it weren't for the support of every one of our listeners. But beyond listening, you can help the show in other ways too. 
The first is obviously by heading over to your podcast app of choice and writing us a review. It helps the show greatly and doesn't cost you a dime to do it. That said, if you do have the funds to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash to learn more about how your dollars can go to help fuel the growth of this podcast. For just a cup of coffee per month, you can keep this important work going. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Um, So, okay, I would love to hear about... Um, so you found yourself in white evangelicalism and then um, you kind of were in and out, I'm, I'm thinking, right? I'm, I'm hearing you were sort of like, you, you went, got away from it, then you came back um, and then now you left again. So what have been some key moments in that journey of trying to um, understand your theology, trying to understand what you believe, um, you know, have the Bible in your heart, not just in your head. What was that journey or transition like? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, a big moment uh, in my life was when my mom moved. Um, but then, of course, that same year was the 2016 election. And I always, I think I was just, um, what would be the word I'm looking for? My expectation mm. was that we're the church. Of course, we're going to love immigrants. Of course, mm. we're going to love the you know, um, of course, we're going to respect and love uh, disabled people, you know, and and we're going to love women. You know, I grew up in a context where women are respected, even our elders, you know, um, right. like my grandma, my great grandma, um, like my great grandma until the day um, that she passed away. Um, she lived with family that took care of her, you know, that's very common in our communities. And so, um, yeah, so I was like, of course we value women. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? And right. then when the 2016 election happened, um, it was everything was shattered. I didn't have any like standing ground. But a few months before that, I had made a decision that God was good. <laughs> and so I couldn't take my word back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, a few months ago, I said that creator is good. So what does this mean today? What does it mean when at this point I'm going to a white evangelical church that it is outside of Detroit? And I would say is maybe 98% white. Um, and I believe I might've been the only person of color that was in a leadership position. I, wow. maybe another person. And so anyway, I didn't know that all the people that I was going to church with had no idea what it was like in my case, what it was like to be an undocumented black immigrant. And yeah. I just didn't, you know. I just had always hope for the best. I'm a very optimistic person. <laughs> and so um, when that happened, I um, I decided to take a step back and also for even um, just practical measures, uh, the church is in the city that has the closest detention, like the closest ICE detention center and, mm -hmm. you know, to where I live. And so 
I was like, for practical reasons, I probably shouldn't be coming here all the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I gave up um, doing youth ministry, which was, I would say to this day, one of the hardest things I have ever done um, yeah. was, you know, my kids. Um, and after that, it was just kind of like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, do I go back to another church? Do I look for another church? Um, what do I believe? Because if all the people that I had trusted as my teachers are hearing something differently from Holy Spirit and are telling me another thing, then do I trust what I know? And do I trust their teachings? Do I trust that I can hear Holy Spirit. You know, I just had so many questions. And I mean, honestly, it was like a shattering time. Um, and I, and it was interesting because at the same time, I'm encountering um, people that never grew up in the church, had mm -hmm. no idea what was going on in the white evangelical church, you know? Right. And, they just don't understand because they just see me and they're like, why are you sad? And I would be like, I just want to go to church. <laughs> and they would say like, okay, well, why don't you go to church? And I would say it's very complicated. And, yeah. um, and it was so sweet because during that time, they really nourished me and care for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say specifically um, the LGBTQ community. Um, I don't know what it is. I am always surrounded by people from the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and I am always so welcome, you know? Yeah. Um, so they nourish me back to health, you know? Mm -hmm. People who would, never, who would never step a foot in church yeah. <laughs> were like carrying me. Um, right. And at the same time, I did have a group of friends who didn't fully understand what was going on, um, but they also, decided to listen to what I had to say. And um, I always compare them to the um, to the friends who took, um, or to the group of people that took their friend to see Jesus when he mm -hmm. couldn't get yes. there and they put him through the roof. I always yeah. compare that group of friends to, to that story yeah. um, because that's what it felt like, you know? It felt like I couldn't get to Jesus, but they could get to Jesus and they could carry me there, <laughs> you know? And um, so I've always known the power of community. Um, I would say, you know, it's something that I have always carried with me. And I think also like being Peruvian, that's a very important part of our culture, you know? And so um, anyway, so that's kind of, you know, how I ended up in this place where I didn't know anything. I um, I was like, I'm going to be like Paul. I don't know anything but Jesus Christ crucified. <laughs> and, you know, it's just always like, I'm always very intense. Like, it can't just ever be like, oh, let me read the Gospels. You know, it's like, no, straight to one thing. And, um, anyway, so um, in that process, I finally decided I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give it one more chance, you know, and I return. And weirdly enough, I end up working at this church. I worked there for a mm -hmm. year and <laughs> it was honestly, um, the pastor that I worked with, um, he's been my friend for, I think 
for 10 years and oh, wow. him and his family are like my family um you know like they're just incredible um but i think that was maybe when i realized during that time um that i just i could be in those spaces and if i took up the space that i actually could be taking up i didn't know if i was going to be fully loved and accepted anymore mm -hmm. and so right, right, and right. not necessarily from, obviously not necessarily from the from the pastor but just in general you know yeah um because how do you um and one of the things of course like so you know you can't see me on the podcast but i always and i use this all the time but i am a undocumented black fat woman and i don't you know like i use it as a description because for a long time it was used to shame me and now i'm like mm -hmm. i love my body you know but mm -hmm. it is a part of yeah. who i am and so mm -hmm. um if i were to take up all that space mm. how would this community react um wow. and i think i always wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt you know mm -hmm. and i always was like no like maybe it was just a misunderstanding or maybe mm -hmm. i misheard this or you know <laughs> but um and well i was very free in the staff meetings to you know, like to raise all these questions. Um, I think at one point it just was very hard, you know, um, to keep going in that. And then um, finally, I made the decision to leave the to leave not the church actually to leave the staff. And I said, I think one year is good. You know, like mm -hmm. I've learned a lot. I love you guys, and I want this. I think a part of me needed something to end well in the white mm -hmm. evangelical church, you know? Yeah. And, and it did, honestly, you know? Mm -hmm. I loved my time there. I learned a lot. I met so many incredible people. And then, but I chose to stay um, even mm -hmm. after I wasn't, you know? Right. Um, I wasn't working there. Um, and one of the things is because um, I think it's really easy, or at least I've seen this in my own life when somebody stops leading and they just leave the church because, you know, um, mm -hmm. they just were there for the leadership position and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And so, right. um, I have seen that even from when I was a kid, I was very much like, no, I'm staying, <laughs> you know, and I'll be a volunteer and, you know, right. um, but of course a month later in a small group i experienced what i would say probably some of the worst like misogynistic um mm -hmm. anti-blackness sexes i mean think of all the worst things that could happen yeah. to you know to a yeah. black woman <laughs> you know and it was just so intense. I had no idea what was going on. And so I didn't realize. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was just like such an interesting moment because I was not expecting 
to experience all of that in a place that I thought was a safe place. Um, and so because that happened, I, I attempted to keep going, but then I knew that it was time for me to leave. Right. And yeah, so it was a very interesting place to be again, because the first time it felt like I had, um, I listened to, I'm friends with, with Jonathan Martin, who wrote the book, um, how to survive a shipwreck. And I think the first time when I left the church, it felt like it felt like that. I survived the shipwreck, you know, because I was not expecting that. But then this right. time around, it was a mixture of if I knew that this could happen, why did I come back? <laughs> you know, and so it turned instead into like shame and guilt and how do I, you know. Like, why did I, and I asked like about like my misjudgment. I was like, did I misjudge the situation? And it was always like self-blaming. And so for all of last year, I pretty much spent my whole year just healing from that. And, you know, relearning to trust myself, relearning to trust Mm -hmm. community. Um, And, you know, I'm so thankful really Um, just for the amount of people who have, you know, taken care of me. Like sometimes people will just like send a meal or, you know, send me a gift card or something just like to remind me like, hey, we're taking care of you. Um, And again, I felt like I was back in that place where I needed my friends to carry me to Jesus, you know? So, yeah, (laughs) you know. I love love how you mentioned um, that you – the idea of just like learning how to take up space or not necessarily learning how to take up space, but like realizing maybe that folks, you know, couldn't handle all the space, you know, everything, whether it's your body, whether it's just your, Mm -hmm. everything that you have to offer, um, your complicated identities, you know, people, a lot of people can't handle that. They don't know what to do with someone who holds multiple worlds within them. Um, So what has been that process like of sort of reclaiming that, like, um, Mm -hmm being comfortable in all the space that you might take up and, and all the beauty and all the glory and all of that, that that comes with, like, what has that, or, or how has been your process of, of doing so? Yeah. So, and thankfully I'm a, I love reading. And so what, one of my first almost reactions and I, it's so funny in counseling, I told my counselor, I said, I'm pretty sure that sometimes reading can be a trauma response for me, um, but at least I'm not wasting my time. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. but when it first happened, I started reading so many books. And for years, I had always been very much like um, learning from different Anabaptist pastors. And so that's the interesting thing too. Like, even though I was in the fundamentalist space for most of my life, um, I always listened to other people. And weirdly enough, I really agree with them, but I just didn't know where to find those communities, you know? Right. And so, yeah, so my first instinct, I think the first book, I i don't even think it was a book. I think it was like a pamphlet somewhere that I found online. And it was just explaining the history of Anabaptism. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. And I just need to know something, you know, that something is different. And so, <laughs> yeah, so I started learning about that. I, um, I read a million books about um, 
you know, like critical race theory and uh, systemic oppression and, you know, just, I mean, it was almost like you just couldn't stop me. And I, that's all I did was read. <laughs> but then uh, when that died down, and also this is like the middle of a pandemic, you know? And so yeah. um, when this was happening, I'm like, oh, okay. But um, also, but okay, I'm gonna be honest actually, because when that, when that event happened, besides reading a lot, um, one of the things that I did was that I, texted all my friends and I said, I'm so sorry, but I can no longer hang out with you because um, I don't know what will trigger me. And so because mm -hmm. I didn't know that, I decided that I needed to be alone mm -hmm. and that I needed to process a lot of things. And so I told them, I said, it's like, I will meet with you one on one, but I can't do group things because that's gonna happen, you know. Right. And um, I just want to be very careful. I don't want to have like you know a reaction or something take it out on you when it's not you, you know. <laughs> and so I weirdly had already started not seeing a lot of people by the time that the pandemic hit the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so. But I'm so thankful that I took that time because I took that time to understand what was going on, um, to write down how I was feeling. I was in counseling every week. I, um, you know, and I would still like be in contact with really good friends. Um, and I would do very much like one-on-one -on -one things, mm -hmm. but I was very careful. And I really am so thankful that I took, cause it would have been from October till March um that i you know i took that time to just be by myself and to heal and to learn and when the pandemic hit i think if i wouldn't have taken that time i think it would have been really hard um right. you know to to be alone which makes no sense <laughs> um but when it happened then i had the energy again to be present again because that was what was that is what I would say is the thing that it stole from me the most was the, I have worked so hard to be present always. Mm -hmm. you know? right. And then when that happened, I could no longer be present with anything or right. anyone. And so when, um, when the pandemic hit, I was so thankful that I could be present with people right. who were struggling and were having a hard time because right. I had taken so much time to heal. And of course, like healing is not linear, you know, like mm -hmm. every once in a while, I'd still be like, oh, what is happening, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I just, I know where it's coming from. Um, but I think those moments of solitude and just being, you know, just asking, and honestly, like, um, I remember a long time ago when I was maybe 16 or 17, um, a pastor said to me, you should never ask God why. Um, and so for a long time, I was afraid of asking God why, you know, mm -hmm. and but I am, so I'm, I'm very curious in general. And so my first reaction is always to ask why, why do we do this? Like, why does it right. work this way? Why? You know, and so I finally like gave myself the freedom to say, 
God, why this and why mm. that? And, you know, yeah. like, why did colonization happen? Why did the Spanish steal all the gold from Peru? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and why did they kill so many people? And right. why did they enslave people? And, you know, so I started asking all these questions that I was just holding to myself. Um, right. And then I started asking about the evangelical, the white evangelical church. And I was like, why do we believe this and where mm -hmm. does this come from and you know and then i start, i learn about whiteness i learn about um you know all these things that i never mm -hmm. knew that i could have a language for right. and you know and so i think it it was that it was taking the risk of asking why why mm -hmm. are all these things happening <laughs> you right. know yeah that's so good <laughs> So you had mentioned something um, earlier that I I wanted to just ask you about, and that's the idea of how you said that you're learning to indigenize and not just decolonize. And I had mentioned earlier that that to me um, I love that because when I think of indigenizing, I think of that being the reconstruction to deconstruction, right? Um, so what's your process of indigenizing? What are you learning in this process um, as you learn to indigenize? Yeah, so um, I would say that's connected to me asking questions. And it was the realization that God wasn't afraid of my questions. God was excited for my questions, you know? Yeah. Um, because um, also when I'm asking questions, I'm using my intellect, you know? And mm -hmm. I just wonder how smart God is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be a genius. Um, but in the process, of asking those questions, I realized that I had deconstructed a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I would always say like, I don't know anything anymore. Um, but then I was like, okay, but what do I, what do I actually know then? If I don't know these things anymore, what are the things that I know now, <laughs> right. you know? And so, um, and I think having conversations actually a little bit, um, you know, I'm so thankful for uh, social media sometimes because it's connected me to so many incredible people, you know. Um, but oh, I was yeah. talking to uh, Robert Monson a few days ago and we were talking about how if we just um, deconstruct and not decolonize at the same time, then it can be really easy that in the reconstruction, we just turn to a different kind of white supremacy. And, yeah. you know... And I was like, yeah. I, and that's so true. And I think I've experienced that in multiple levels, you know, um, because whiteness can be so tricky and it like sneaks in and you're like, wait, what, <laughs> you know? And so anyway, um, so I think it, it was maybe, I would say three years ago or so that I started decolonizing without knowing that that is what I was doing, you know, but I right. started listening to music in Spanish, which I hadn't done in so long, you know? Um, everything I listened to was just in English. Yeah, so it was in that process that I started like, kind of like, oh, maybe I should start reading books by women of color, by black women. I have never read books by um, theologians from South America or from Central America or the Caribbean, you know? And so I started asking all these questions, like, where did I get all my theology from? The first book that I read 
which I stole from my parents, was a book about marriage when I was like seven years old. And it's translated from English to Spanish. And it is absolutely white evangelical theology. And surprisingly, my dad still has the book which he brought from Peru, which is so interesting to me. So I was very thankful wow. that I that he still had it because I was able to reread it and be like, wow. oh my gosh, why my brain thinks this, you know? Um, but I realized that even, you know, even in Peru, we were still receiving white evangelical theology. Mm. And um, yeah, and so I think in that process, of starting to ask questions and finally reading and listening to other people that were not straight white men, you know? Um, It opened my eyes to so many things. I was talking to a friend and I said, I think what has happened to me is that I know that the joy that I carry, I know that it's part of a practice, um, which, Um, I don't know if joy has a formula, but if it did, I would say that it is giving thanks every day and remembering every day. Mm -hmm. And so, because it just like restores your soul, you know, to give thanks, even if it's just for breathing, which in reality, that's a big deal. It's Holy Spirit, you know, coming (laughs) and, um, and remembering, remembering how God has been so faithful over and over again. And so um, so I think I've always had this gift of knowing how to connect with the joy of the Lord. Um, but in listening to especially women of color and black women, I cannot tell you, I didn't know that you could grow in joy, you know? <laughs> it is, it's been incredible to learn from so many people, you know? Um, Like I love, you know, listening to you. I love listening to um, Karen Gonzalez. Um, Right now, um, a friend sent me a link and uh, she was like, Carla, I found an indigenous South American theologian. And I was like, give me her name. I will find this woman, (laughs) you know? And she does a lot of work around Bolivia and Peru. And so I've never heard of this. I've never heard of Peruvian theologians um, who are, you know, who are doing this work. And a lot of it, it it is very uh, liberative, you know? I didn't know that. And so I think I'm um, in that process. I am learning to read differently. I'm learning to even, um, you know, like my grandparents, they were all Catholic. Mm -hmm. And when my parents became Protestant, it was almost like a rejection of everything Catholic, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't think, honestly, I think they did it without really knowing why they were doing that. I think they were just listening to other people, you know? Right. Um, but now I'm like asking, oh, I wonder how my great grandma worshiped the Lord, you know, because right. I know she worshiped the Lord. Actually, my grandma is probably the person who taught me about the consistency of mm-hmm. prayer without ever teaching me the, about right. the consistency of prayer. Right. <laughs> you That's know? 
<laughs> yeah, actually, it is when um, I started thinking about that because you um, you were um, talking about this all the time, and I was like, my grandma. What happened to my grandma? You know. And so uh, yeah, but um, I think it is that, you know like those moments of learning even about. Um, I never knew about any of the saints. You know, it was very much like they're idols. We never talk about them. And, um, but there are so many beautiful stories of yeah. people caring for, you know, actually giving up their life to love their neighbor. Um, and I have missed all those stories, you know? So now I'm asking about Catholic theology, which I had mm. never had the freedom to do before, you right. know? Um, I'm asking about, what does church look like in Africa? You know, um, I don't know which part of Africa we're from, unfortunately, um, you know, because of the slave trade, but um, but I wonder, you know, like what did it look like? And yeah. um, how do they worship? And I think like even that, right? Like the idea of movement and being in your body, um, we are very much like, one of my friends asked me recently, how do you learn to dance? And I said, I don't know. I think I just came out dancing salsa, you know, like nobody mm -hmm. taught me. <laughs> I just did it. I just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, you know, being in white evangelical spaces, it was very much like, you know, it was very solemn when you worship God right. and, um, maybe clap here and there, <laughs> you know, but that's about it. And, um, well, my mom, if I play, uh, you know, a uh, worship song in Spanish, she'll start dancing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just who she is. <laughs> right. And, right. um, and I had left those practices, you know, right. um, yeah. feeling God in my body and feeling the divine in my body. Um, because I had put up that wall, you know? So that has been a big deal. I'm learning a little bit more about womanist theology, which is, um, you know, the African-American um, a combination of like, theology. yeah, liberation theology for black women or created mm -hmm. by black women. And um, yeah, so just like learning so much and realizing and it take, that's why I always tell the story of me asking God to delete the Bible from my brain. Because um, it just takes me back to the realization, I really don't know anything, you know? Right, right. It's true. Um, having the humility to admit that, and because the prideful part of me wants to be like, I know everything now. Right. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think you mentioned some great things because um, that's actually something like so much that I talk about in Awalita Faith is the idea that, you know, whiteness has separated us so much from an embodied theology, from, from, from yes, experiencing God through our bodies, through dance. I have a whole chapter on that, you know, or, or just experiencing uh, God just through all these different ways, through sewing, you know, through using our hands, through things that... Um, that yeah, our ancestors have been doing for centuries. And it's, it, you know, I, I, I just think it's so, I, I don't know if arrogant is the right word, but for people now to think that God couldn't um, exist mm -hmm. or communicate or be present through those things, through an embodied 
theology, an embodied way of living. Um, so I love that. I love that you're, you know, that's part of your process of indigenizing or part of your process of decolonizing and reconstructing is becoming more embodied. Um, and I think that that just goes yeah. so well with your realization of like, yeah, like I, I'm taking so much space. I want to be somewhere with my, where my body is free, you know, to take up all the space mm-hmm. that it wants to take up and to do all the things that my body was meant to do, you know, um, so I think that's so beautiful. I think that you're you're on the right track for sure. I think that um, we need definitely more more people who are are wanting to um, to yeah bring their entire selves uh, to to the the journey of faith. So yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah, no, thank you for listening. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so just my last question, I know that you had mentioned that you're um, just doing a lot of nonfiction reading and a lot of um, you're reading some of Octavia Butler. Is there anything that you've been learning from uh, just the stuff that you've been reading lately? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think, honestly, um, if I had to summarize what I've been learning <laughs> is that one, uh, black women don't get enough credit for the things they do. <laughs> That's number one, probably. Um, but I'm also learning um, that um, actually I was reading um, the commentary on the book of Acts by Dr. Jennings, Willie James Jennings. Mm-hmm. And, okay. um, <laughs> and he said one, one word or one phrase on there. And he's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch when he's like, you know, and Philip's gonna meet him. And he says, um, he wasn't left alone with the text and no one should ever be left alone with the text. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that is what is, has been like shifting in my head, you know, going in circles in my head. Um, because now I, um, I'm learning to discuss even what I'm learning, you know, and what I'm reading, um, just kind of like to understand it differently or connect with other people who are reading the same book or, um, or similar books, you know, and having those conversations and not just taking everything at its face value, you know, like I can ask, I can ask questions now. Um, I didn't have that freedom before, you know, and so that has been very helpful um, in relearning. I've also, um, I started reading the First Nations version of the Bible. Um, and so that has been very, you know, it's been very refreshing because it makes me read the story as brand new. And um, that has been lovely. Right. And then, um, yeah, but I would say I'm just learning that, um, that I don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm also learning that I know so much more than I give my credit for, you know, like mm-hmm. I, like, there are things that have been given to me that I just thought weren't part of the kingdom, you know, right. of the kingdom of God. That they didn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those books, I'm finding my story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like James Baldwin says, you know, uh, you always think you're the only one who, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, the only mm-hmm. one who has faced struggles until you read. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, even today I thought, I wonder if anyone's ever written about dating while being undocumented, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, it's like such a, um, such a sensible topic almost, you know, like right. when do you know to trust someone with that information and you don't know how they're going to react. You don't know right. whether you're going to have to do the education part or whether, you know? Um, and so I was like wondering about that. And um, yeah. And I think that's what I have been learning is I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in the struggle and I'm not alone in the joy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Carla. This was so good. I love all of the beautiful things that you shared and just, yeah, hearing about your journey and um, just how you're processing and how you're finding joy and finding healing in the midst of a hard world, uh, you know, a complicated and difficult world. So I'm so encouraged by you and, and yeah, everything that you're learning and that everything that you've shared. Is there anywhere that you want to point listeners to uh, your social media accounts or anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, I'm mostly, I, I love Instagram. It's just fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So you can find me at dear Carla and uh, my website is dearcarla.com. So either one of those. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.